And welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. It's week number four of our seasonally themed holiday plays. And this week, our final week, we're going out with Donna Stuccio's play, Twas the Christmas Eve 902 to Soulmateville. The parts, Andrew, played by Brett Bozzard. Charlotte is illuminated by Melanie Euler. And the porter is given life by Bob Finley. Christmas Eve in the present, and Charlotte has fallen asleep on a train. Her head is propped against the window, precariously resting on a folded coat as she rocks with a steady rhythm. It is snowing heavily outside. Andrew enters and stops as he approaches her seat. He watches her sleep for a beat and then taps her gently. She stirs. Excuse me, miss? Uh, miss? Yes? Are you taken? What did you say? I asked if you were taken. You mean, is the seat taken? Well, that would be my next question if the answer to my first question was no. So, are you taken? Am I taken? Do you mean, do I... Am I... Attached to anyone else. Like, romantically? Yes, that's the idea. Not that it's any of your business, but yes, I am. Puzzled, she stares at the empty seat next to her. I seem to have misplaced him. He was right there. How long was I asleep? Quite a while. What, you were watching me? Not really watching you exactly, but watching for you. So, are you... Taken? She holds up a ringless left hand. Yes, and I just told you that he's on this train with me. I... I think I've been robbed. Porter! Porter! Yes? I seem to have been the victim of a robbery. There was no robbery. How do you know? Your status was changed a few stops ago. Read your ticket. Downgraded to single? I thought it was... was... In a relationship? He, he was sitting right here. Right here next to me. He must be in the bathroom. I don't think so. You have been sitting alone for months. Months? I have not been alone for months. Excuse me. She rises and crosses to the bathroom door. Jason! Jason! She throws the door open. The room is empty. He must be in another car. Maybe he went to the dining car. Something terrible has happened. I can't find my... significant other? He gave me a ring. She holds up her ringless hand again and then quickly hides it behind her back. How long ago? Eight years. Eight years? Well, things always seem to come up. Do the math. I have a boyfriend. Boyfriend? All right. There really isn't the right word in the English language to describe the complicated world of 50-something non-married coupling, but we were planning to get married. Someday. Hmm. Do you remember what he looks like? Of course I remember. He's about 5'10", straight black hair, small scar on his chin, part of his left earlobe missing, some messy issues with his eyebrows, obsessively thin... And uh, has a bit of a wandering eye. You saw him then? Yes, I did. Disembarked back um, about five months ago. Couldn't get off the train fast enough. Disembarked? 
The porter pulls out a small dictionary. Disembark. To dump the girl, jump ship, run one's toes through the greener grass. I am sorry, miss. But we were on our way to... Marriage town? Yes, I had a ring and a promise. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. He got off the train? At a popular stop. I believe he had a frequent rider card specifically for it. Let's see, what was it? Oh, yes. A little town called Infidelity. Infidelity? What route is this? She frantically goes to the window. That doesn't look like... Of last I knew, we were stopped in... We're a couple? That's the number one plus one equals two stop on this route. Where are we now? Just hitting the two minus one equals zero. You're stopped. Such a shame on Christmas Eve, too. Wait. It's Christmas Eve? And you said my stop is the... Two minus one equals... Please don't say zero again. Infidelity? Are you sure this is my life? Absolutely sure. Don't feel so well. Am I in an episode of The Twilight Zone? I'll take it from here. Andrew chips the porter who exits. He eases her back into her seat and sits next to her. He carefully adjusts her shawl around her shoulders. I think the abandonment has been quite a shock to you. Jeez, knocked you out cold. You think so? And I had to come to on Christmas Eve of all nights, right? The coping fairies couldn't let me sleep one more week and get through New Year's Eve, too. Yeah, but you had to wake up eventually. Why? You can't give up hope. Hope for what? That there will be someone else. Why are you on this train? This is the 902 Soulmateville, the last one on Christmas Eve. And? And I have hope. You are not attached? Not anymore. Shows his ringless hand. Took it off five months ago. You didn't get on at Infidelity. The porter returns. The train may be making an unscheduled stop at second thoughts. Do you need any help with your bag, ma'am? She Uh, looks to Andrew. No, 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 I've never even been to Infidelity. Nothing like that. It just went kerplooey. Imploded after sustaining 20 years worth of assault. She looks at the porter. I'm all set. For now. The porter exits. We're a pair, aren't we? Riding this particular train on this particular night when we should be looking up at a particularly sparkly sky. Big, fluffy snowflakes floating around us. You know? (laughs) Yes, I do. Holding hands while we gaze at the stars. Meaningful presents with pretty little bows stashed in our suitcases. That's the idea. You said you were watching for me? My whole life. It's not a coincidence we were here, together, on this night. You believe it's some sort of sign? Yeah, I do. I really do. So, for once in my life, my timing may just have been right? Next stop, two minus one equals zero. This is your stop. But you don't have to get off here, you know. But this is my stop, much to my dismay. Stay a while longer. It would be nice to to talk some more. She looks tentatively at Andrew and then to the porter. I'd like to continue on, if I may. Yes. 
Well, don't come crying to me that you missed the connection to it's too soon to date again. The porter exits. That is a very handsome suit. The tie is a nice touch. My grandfather taught me well. With a slight wave of his hand, he encourages her to lean in towards him. It's a bit familiar. Old Spice? Mm, And just a hint of brill cream. Ah, yes. Lovely combination. So, may I ask you again? Are you taken? She shakes her head no. It takes some getting used to. Things happen for a reason. Whatever could that be? So we might find the one. I thought I had the one. (laughs) If he were the one, he'd still be here. And if she were the one, you'd still be there? Right. Did you always have this nagging feeling that you'd settled? I was on the wrong speeding train. Couldn't get off. We are crossing the border of what was I thinking? Can I get either of you a slice of regret? I've had my share. Me too. Well, at least introduce yourselves. Charlotte. Andrew. He extends his hand and they shake. He holds onto her hand for a while while he sings. And when I touch you, I feel happy inside. It's such a feeling that my love, I can't hide, I can't hide, I can't hide. We just met. It's only a song. Oh, yes, right. A Beatles fan. Do you have a favorite piece of music? I am so tempted to say that you must guess and test your hypothesis that we somehow were destined to meet. Okay, I'll guess, and you blurt it out at the same time. Ready? On the four. One, two, three. The The Brahms Symphony's Rock! If you had some extra money and time, where would be the first place in the world you would go? Oh, okay. Ready? One, two, three. New New Orleans! Orleans. Wow. Wow. Oh my, I feel a bit dizzy. We were traveling pretty fast. Maybe we should, uh... They suddenly lurch as the train breaks, slowing down. It resumes its motion, albeit a bit slower. It'll be okay. We'll just follow the rhythm of the trains. Steady and slow now. Do you know what the next stop is? Not quite sure. I can't believe I'm doing this. But there is something about you. A kindness in your face. A sweet melody in your touch. I feel like a kid again. We are still kids. I'm not old. Are you old? No, I guess not. It's Christmas Eve, and the world is filled with promise. You see promise? All kinds of promise. And a sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. Look, up over those hills. See that little blinking red light in the distance? (laughs) Yes, but I think it's a cell tower or a radio transmitter thingy, don't you? No, no, that is Rudolph leading Santa, I'm sure. Bringing gifts to all the good little boys and girls? He brought me you. You see me as a gift? Not as a burden? (laughs) Of course you're a gift. Oh my, I do not recognize this territory at all. I strongly suggest you consider getting off at the next stop, ma'am. What stop is that? He's too good to be true. 
You think so? Wait, wait, wait. I have faults. Really? Really. Like? I suppose you two will stay on for the layover at Let's Meet for Coffee. I'll have decaf. Same for me. Oh, joy. Okay, spill. Well, three come to my mind immediately. I am an only child and can be a bit stubborn at times. I have a slight tendency to be a hermit on occasion, and I only buy American-built cars. You're not a Republican, are you? Oh, God, no. It's sentimental reasons. A note descends from above, which the porter retrieves and hands to Andrew. What's that? Mm, The conductor thinks I should ask you about your shortcomings. Oh, yes. Especially in light of the work on the track to your left. Quite a nasty collision involving the you lied to me. And it was just a phase I was going through. It's okay to skip this part, Charlotte. But it's fine. Really, Andrew. I can give you three things as you did for me. (laughs) I just feel a gentleman should pass on putting a lady on a spot like that. Uh, Oh, then uh, please sign this, sir. It absolves the soulmate-filled line of uh, culpability in light of any misrepresentation. My highlights are not real. My Lord and Taylor bill is my greatest monthly expense, and I often violate traffic laws in my foreign car. Your hair looks great. This dress is very pretty. And my cousin is the village justice. What about the foreignness of my car? Yeah, I can certainly overlook it. As I said, I'm not a Republican. Are you beginning to regain your bearings? I am not yet quite sure where I am, but the snow is familiar. Every time I watch it fall at night, I remember with remarkable clarity the very first moment I knew I truly loved a boy. When was that? Christmas Eve, 1971. I was 16. Hmm. I guess as you were an especially sweet sweet 16. Well, I was certainly less jaded. We were standing outside of a huge old church in the little mining town where I grew up. Wait, did you grow up in a mining town too? Cattle farm. Oh, you'll have to tell me about that sometime. I will. Go on. There were glorious sounds of the organ and voices singing in Polish and bells ringing that all spilled out of the church, converging to form a force field of harmony to protect us from what was to be inevitable loss and heartbreak. But at that moment, all was precious and bright in the world. I remember the sky was filled with big, fluffy snowflakes that landed effortlessly, like the way I imagined fairy dust would. They refused to give up their beauty to the warmth of our skin. The crystals lay there, suspended on the collar of his jean jacket, my soft white mittens, his eyelashes boy took my face in his hands. I can still smell the faint and strangely comforting scent of Marlboro's on his fingertips. He brushed my hair back and kissed me ever so gently. I struggled my whole adult life to somehow stumble back into that place. I am so so afraid I will never find it again. Snow begins to fall lightly inside the train. Andrew takes her face in his hands and kisses her, ever so gently. 
and then strokes her cheek with his hand. And now? I'm afraid to exhale for fear that I may break the spell and end up back in my real life. <laughs> this is your real life. Then I think I may have found my way back. Next stop, seeing each other. Uh, excuse me, Porter, is there a seeing each other exclusively? That is uh, one more stop ahead. Charlotte, would you like to wait and get off there? Together. I would like that very much. Andrew? Yes? Thank you for being my gift. Merry Christmas, Charlotte. Merry Christmas, Andrew. The porter looks up at the falling snow in the train car. He brushes flakes from his uniform. Love. What a mess. Charlotte rests her head on Andrew's shoulder as their bodies rock in unison with the rhythm of the train. Sound of the whistle as the train approaches its next stop. Snow continues to fall. End of play. Just want to remind everybody that you are listening to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is WRFI 88.1 Ithaca, 91.9 Watkins Glen. You've been listening to Donna Stuccio's play, Twas the Christmas Eve 902 to Soulmateville, featuring Brett Bossard, Melanie Euler, and Bob Finley. We were lucky enough to catch up with Donna, and she was gracious enough to give us a few moments of her time. I wrote this play about, I think, three summers ago. I was at the Kennedy Center Summer Playwriting Intensive. I got accepted into that. And we were given homework. We all affectionately titled Strangers on a Train, the Kafka. Okay. (laughs) Kafka, really? So we had this assignment about a character waking up on a train and not recognizing anybody or where they were going. And so I, I have been writing a Christmas play every year for Armory Square Playhouse. We do a holiday fundraiser for Friends of Dorothy. It's a local home in town run by two private people who take care of uh, people who are um, terminally ill with HIV and AIDS in their own home. They take yeah. care of them. And so anyway, so I thought, okay, I'm going to write a Christmas play and I'm going to put it on this train. Trains. Why a yeah. train? I just love being on I grew up across the street from a, a railroad um, track that was transporting coal back and forth. I, lived, I grew up in the coal mine area of Pennsylvania, and the Howell House shook with trains. I just love, just love it as a setting, so it worked for me. You know, most people, um, well, a lot of people, when asked what is the most romantic form of transportation, uh-huh. frequently answer trains. Yes. Part of it is, is I guess, the rhythm of the movement. When was right. your first train ride? My first train ride. Um, oh, when I was a, when I was a graduate student at SU, I was a in a special ed um, education program. It was like 1978. We took the kids to the Utica Zoo on the train, and that was my first train ride. Even though I grew up across the street from 
Like we're, we were watching trains all those years and never had a chance yep. to ride and one. Literally, our house shook. We'd sit there and count the cars on a lazy Saturday night. It just, uh, yeah, it is very romantic. And it, you know, and then it just worked for the for a journey. You know, relationships are a journey, so it just gave me the perfect platform to run with it. Perfect, and, and all those great stops too. <laughs> Infidelity. Let's stop for coffee. Is wonderful. Oh, thank you. I had a lot of fun writing that. Oh, I started expanding it because I took it to another workshop in Philadelphia um, at uh, Playpen. And I needed 30 pages of a script. So I took that and started fleshing it out. So I had more, I have more stops and a longer version. Really? What happened to that version? Um, it's sitting on my hard drive waiting for more attention. Yes. I'd, I'd love to see the long one uh, one of these days. You know, and, right. And I, I, guess I, I fleshed it. I, started, I went to Playpen Craig Lucas, that's who, who ran the workshop, and we, we had 10 of us that were accepted, and we had the center place ahead of time, and um, the rest of everybody, you know, I started, like, I started fleshing it out, and you know, everybody loved it. He said, "Put get rid of all that magical stuff. I don't like that magical stuff. This is too, too important a story to muck it up with all that magical stuff, and I'm like, wait a minute, this is a whole different play, and he of all people said that to me so i i don't so i stopped working on it after he kind of um cut me off of the knees about it so yeah. i don't know but anyway yeah well as playwrights we have to go through being cut off at the knees pretty much yeah. a lot but of it armory square yes yeah you've been working with them for for a long time correct yeah um tell, tell us about that um that is a very it's been in existence for a long time i was invited in about 18 years ago, and it's a, a small collective of about 10 playwrights right now. They come and go, and I am now artistic director. It was started by David Feldman locally, and we've had, we have a great audience base, and we do a monthly reading, staged reading of um, new plays by local playwrights, and that's what we do. We don't have the money to, to mount full productions. That's the, that's the hitch. Well, I think the the given is that if you are in theater, you don't have money. Right. <laughs> so are these plays, uh, these new plays, short plays, long plays? What's um, the format? Both. Both. We, the holiday fundraiser we do, which really gets everybody writing, um, are short plays. But we have uh, long plays, short plays. Um, every once in a while, a musical. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a great group of writers. I wanted to touch back on 902 one more time. Okay. Um, you have a, that beautiful little section where the characters speak together and they talk about music and where they want to go and they mention Brahms symphonies mm -hmm. and New Orleans. Where did the Brahms come from? Um, a personal experience. I've always loved the Brahms symphonies, which I never knew and took a music appreciation class. And uh, I just think it's very romantic, rich music, his symphonies. And uh, so when, when, when two potential uh, romantic partners, um, when their brains collide with a specific piece of music, that to me is magic. That and is that's definitely the magic. Is there a particular Brahms symphony that uh, you like in particular? Right now they're all mishmash. I, I never know if I'm listening to one, two, three, or four. If they had n names other than numbers, I probably could remember which was which. Yeah. So, so what's with New Orleans? Have you been there? Yes, I have. And I, oh. You know, and I when I was there, I went to the Tennessee Williams Theater Festival, and I saw a production of Ducre. Yeah. And so then the next morning, I was so taken with it. The next morning, I went and I stood outside the 
exact address where Tennessee Williams wrote that play, like in 1930-something, and tried to absorb the genius. Mm. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, just New Orleans has such a romance, and just... Uh, it just I will totally second that. I've been to New Orleans three or four times myself, and love it. Found- every single time has been magical. I actually got a... Not that there's interviews about me, but I got a play <laughs> out of this in 2001. Oh, you did? Yeah, we went, uh, my wife and I traveled down there, and we spent a week in uh, the French Quarter, mm-hmm. and I'm a sucker for ghost stories. Uh-huh. And New Orleans is pretty much spook central of the known universe. Yeah. Um, and we were deep awash in ghost stories here here and there, and the, the hotel we stayed in supposedly had ghosts, none of which I saw, uh, which I was kind of annoyed about. Oh. Um but yeah, I got a play out of that, and the play actually did quite well. Won a couple of awards, and uh, so New Orleans is definitely yeah, magic. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So, looking at your resume here, this 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 nine page long record <laughs> of no, oh my gosh, I'm 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 beyond impressed here. Uh, you started off as a special ed teacher, and you did that for a number of years, right? Mm-hmm. I well, I graduated from SU with my um, degree in acting in 1977, and not what sure which direction to go in. So I, I started volunteering at a school that focused on autistic children, and I just fell in love with them and found myself in the special ed program, master's degree program at SU, and um, yeah, did that for a while. And then I decided, yeah, then I decided to be a police officer. I noticed that several of your plays, like Blue Moon, Nice Pants, uh, and I believe Elegy and Blue, are police officer themed, correct? Right, correct. Um, and you were a special ed teacher, so I'm wondering how these experiences shape your work. Um, I, I often say that when I became a police officer, it was a window in to human behavior, you can get no other way. Um, it just threw me into, uh, you know, everybody's messes and, um, and trauma and some of, and not the trauma of funny, but there were also some instances that were humorous. And so that, that informed my work. Um, and special ed, yeah, I was, I wasn't a classroom teacher. I was a home-based infant teacher in Onondaga County and Cayuga County. So I, I was tw- in my early 20s, I'm in a car and I'm driving all over the place, going to people's homes and um, uh, working with their babies and working with them. And so just that, that contact with, with people and just it really, inform- I guess, informed my writing. So you were a police officer for how many years? Um, for eight years full-time, two years part-time. I was offered a full-time teaching position, tenure-track position at OCC, which lured me away from the police department, and that's where I've been for 20 years. There is this belief or situation um, that I've heard vocalized, not just on TV police shows, but also by actual police uh, persons, that it is a, quote, brotherhood, sisterhood, separate from the general public. Mm-hmm. Um and not to comment on that as whatever it may be, but you're a playwright, and mm-hmm. you write about police officers, mm-hmm. okay, or about the police experience. Is this and just an effort to share some of your experiences, to open up the public to what it might be like to be a police officer for two and a half hours, give a little uh, bit of insight? 
That's an that's an interesting question. I I found myself when I first started writing the first full length play that started taking shape in my head was about um, my experience the night that Wally Howard, who was a police officer in Syracuse, was shot and killed on duty, and I was working that night, um, and that that while I was waiting, uh, guarding a scene, a play started taking shape in my head. And it was that play, um, Blue Moon. But I wasn't writing about the police experience. I was writing about human beings who actually happened to be police officers. Um, so that's how I approached it. But it, be- it became um, a window into the world of policing. Especially since I was writing, Blue Moon had eight, I forget, seven or eight lady cop actresses, you know, roles for actresses. Mm-hmm. And so when audiences came and watched the play that opened up in a locker, a police woman's locker room with police officers getting ready, you know, getting dressed for work. It was just, I guess, unusual um, at the time. Well, I'm sure it's, it's, it's a window into something that most people will never actually see. Right. You know, um, or understand what it is to be a police officer every single day. Right. You know, it's uh, there's obviously a, a, a huge gap of experience and knowledge between the two. Um, yeah. You have to guess, I guess you have to do it to have some kind of knowledge or to yeah, understand it, it at all. Right. And this is what I've been teaching. I teach in the criminal justice department at OCC. And um, my favorite class to teach um, is the law enforcement class. I just, I, I love explaining the world of um, law enforcement to my students and you know, from my from my perspective and looking at the literature that you know supports some of my perspective next last question here okay do you have favorite playwright is there somebody out there whose work you can't get enough of oh tennessee williams ah you mentioned him before yeah, yeah i yeah um you know when i was an acting major at su Everybody had to team up. This is like 1974, 75. Everybody had to team up with the um, gentleman caller scene, and we were all working on that for a couple of months. Wow. I just fell in love with that scene and that experience as a young actress. Um, And I actually got to play it at Salt City with um, a wonderful actor who also became a playwright who just passed away, Steve Nicholas. And it, it... just being able to perform Tennessee Williams really cemented my love of Tennessee Williams. It's very satisfying work to perform. That's, I think, having been an actress before I actually really started writing plays, although I did write my very first play when I was 13, I adapted A Charlie Brown Christmas for the stage for an all-girls Catholic school. Um, <laughs> so, that sounds like fun. Yeah, I got to play Charlie Brown, and I, you know, I were, was really really into the whole acting thing. And having been an actress first and then attempting to write plays, I, I'm i very sensitive to what it feels like for the actor. So you subscribe to the, uh, the, the belief that in order to be a better playwright, you need to be an actor or you need to do other things in theater also? Uh, you know I, don't know, I don't know if I would say that, but for me, that's, you know, they're all wrapped up into, into one, you know, acting, playwriting. And yeah. yeah, life experience does a little life experience doesn't hurt. Yeah, true, very <laughs> true. It seems like you've had quite your share of life experience. So, what's next for you? What are you working on? What's going to happen here, playwriting wise? 
That's a good question too. I it seems I really have not had the focus. I, I'm very busy at work and raising the child. And I one but once a year when we do this fundraiser, I write a holiday themed play. So I have five of them now that I really, really like. I love writing that that time of year. Um, and I've had great inspiration over the past five years I've been doing this. So I want to get back into them and um, flesh them out a little more because most of them are wrote, written in a panic because, oh, my God, the date is coming. Deadlines. This is the, 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 902 to, the Christmas Eve 902 to Soulmate Bell was the only one written ahead of time. Um, but I... I like I, like I started fleshing 902 out, I have a, I have a couple of others I really want to flesh out a little more. Um, I'd love, I have many short plays. I haven't tackled a full length in a while. Mm, they're so daunting, aren't they? Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'd like, I'd, like, I'd like to do that. I'd like to do that. Well, we'd love I love to, to go into a retreat like six months and write. Yeah. Six months, that's a short one for me. Yeah, wouldn't that so, be nice? Yeah, sometimes it takes me six months to write a ten-minute play. Hey. Yeah, yeah, it's mm-hmm. hard. Playwriting is hard work. We learned in Goddard. Yes, we did. <laughs> and it's it's I'm I'm going to liken this to to being a police officer. Nobody outside of this is ever going to understand what it takes. Right. Right. Yeah, right. I've had people look at me and go just just sit down and churn it out. Right. Uh, no. <laughs> right. That you know that I guess that's why you know the whole Christmas theme worked for me in the past couple of years because it it does kind of like narrow my my beam of focus on what I need to write about. Mm. It was nice to be focused. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Donna Stucho, it has been an absolute thrill having you on our show, and sure. we loved was the Christmas nine oh two to Soulmateville. Um, and we look forward to hearing and seeing more of your work up there in beautiful downtown Syracuse. Thank you so much, George. This was a pleasure.